Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 59, Conspiracies, recorded Thursday, March 19th of 2015, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. Peter, how you doing? Oh, doing pretty well. How about you, Grant? Uh, doing well enough. Recovering from being sick, but eh, it happens to everyone. Yeah. So if I sound a little uh, little weird tonight, weirder than usual, but not just because of the topic. Just take that complete joke away from me, why don't you? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. It, it was kind of obvious. I figured I'd just go ahead and get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Yeah. All right. We don't have a whole lot in the way of news, but we have one big announcement. Peter? Fear the Con 8 Kickstarter is live, and Grant and I will both be going to this if it successfully funds. So if you are at all interested in one of the cooler, more intimate and friendly game conventions that's down in St. Louis, Missouri, this would be a good one to back and or go to. Yep. Uh, as of this recording, the Kickstarter has just started. Yeah. So when this episode drops, you're going to have just a few days to back it. So it's really important that you do. Links in the show notes. Uh, it is a fantastic convention. You've heard us talk about Fear the Con a lot. There's a reason why we talk about it all the time. Yeah. It's really good. If the Kickstarter funds, the ticket cost is non-existent. There is no ticket cost for the con. Basically, if you're backing it, not only are you essentially paying what you would pay for a ticket to a convention like this, if it funds, other people get to go at no cost, which makes it a great convention to bring new people to. If you are interested in meeting one or both of us in person, if it funds, we will be there. Yes, at and, least as of right now. Yeah, and if everything works out, which I feel the need to slap qualifiers on, but if everything works out... Yeah, That will be the first time that Grant and I have ever physically been in the same room. So we're kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be awesome. So, yeah. you know, don't screw it up for us, people. Yes, Come on. Please no. do. Uh, yeah. Just <laughs> it's a fantastic con. Honestly, if neither of us were going to be there, I would strongly recommend that you go anyway. It's yeah. great. I really don't have any other major news. Do you? Nope. That was it for me. Okay. Let's do our scripture then, shall we? All right. You want Psalms or Matthew? I'll take Psalms. Okay. This is Psalm 41, verses 5 to 9. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely, while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. And this is Matthew 26, verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So, tonight's topic is kind of a an unusual one for us, but I in particular wanted to talk about 
conspiracies. Because, well, in part because conspiracies are fun. They're a great dramatic thing to bring in. They're great for role-playing games for all the reasons we're going to talk about. But I admit part of it was inspired by an article I happened to come across talking about a cons- uh, various different conspiracy theorists who believe that the moon is a fake. Not the moon landing. The, <laughs> the moon. actual celestial body, the large rock that orbits our planet and causes tides, yes. that moon? The moon. The real and one. And he actually has moon written in the outline here. Yes, well, partly because moon is fun to say. Yeah. But yes, I mean the big terrestrial ball of rock and other trace minerals that orbits like 360 to 400,000 kilometers away from the Earth, depending on where it is in its elliptical orbit, the one with about one-sixth Earth's mass. Yeah, that one. (laughs) According to these people, it's a fake. And I was reading it, and it's funny, but it occurred to me that while there's not a huge amount of gaming material to get out of wacky conspiracy theories, there's a lot to get out of conspiracies that actually happen in a game and where those intersect can be interesting. So I wanted to talk about it. It seems like a fun thing to kind of go over. Yeah. Um, First of all, right off the top at the beginning of this episode, if if you really want to dig into this topic thoroughly, and I was planning to do this a little bit myself earlier this week and life intervened, you could do a whole lot worse. In fact, you could probably scarcely do better than to get yourself a copy of GURPS Illuminati. It's all about conspiracies. Yeah. Uh, And another great resource is Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. Great podcast. We've had Kenneth Height, famous author and podcaster, on our show. Uh, We had him on back in October to talk about horror gaming. But he's particularly good at talking about conspiracy theories and specifically the silly kind of crazy ones. Yeah. In fact, the most recent episode of Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff, as of this recording dealt with it a little bit, uh, specifically in the context of Chicago politics. Right. And there they're talking about real conspiracies as opposed to conspiracy theories. And they tend to kind of go back and forth on what they're talking about because they do like historical myths. They they like anything that's kind of grounded in reality, you know, in that, that there's people but that actually believe it. Loosely. But only very Yeah. But yeah. isn't actually true and is very gameable. The, the gameability seems to be the most important concern. Yeah, I still need to get them to do the episode I keep pestering them about, which is uh, the Franklin Conspiracy, which was purportedly a 19th century cover-up by the British Empire, 19th century, mind you, cover-up of uh, giant, I think, electrical aliens in northern Canada. I've never even heard of that particular legend. I hadn't either. I don't even remember where I came across it, but it was a... It was fantastic, and it seemed like the sort of thing they they would love. Anyway, we've been talking about conspiracy theories because they're fun and silly. But let's talk about conspiracies, which are what we're, we're actually trying to talk about here, even though the other is a lot of fun. Um, simple dictionary definition. A conspiracy is a secret plan made by two or more people to do something that is harmful or illegal. Uh, the act of secretly planning to do something that is harmful or illegal. Pretty straightforward definition. Note that harmful is usually illegal, but is illegal does not necessarily imply harmful. We're going to talk about that a little yeah. later on. But that's really what we're talking about. People trying to affect some sort of change in secret or exert some influence in secret. Yeah, so there are usually several considerations if you're, if you're looking at putting together a 
conspiracy for your game world, which is generally what we're going to be talking about here. So the first one is this conspiracy needs some kind of a goal. Right. I mean, if they're not trying to accomplish something, they're, they're just not really conspiring. Yeah, they're meeting. To, they may be meeting together in secret, but then you have a secret society, not a conspiracy. You have a secret society or a lover's tryst or something like that. It's they're not a conspiracy. They're just hanging out. Yep. I did that in high school. I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't know that I hung out in secret all that often, but I, I didn't I, hang out in secret. But you know, I hung out, and yeah. you know, it was nice hanging it's out, close, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's really two big versions of this goal. You have the single change that the conspiracy is trying to affect. Basically, the conspirators are trying to introduce or induce some single climactic event after which the conspiracy is no longer required or it no longer needs to stay secret. We don't get political on the show, but a great historical example is the gunpowder plot. Oh, yes. The Guy Fox plot. Guy Fox. Uh, you have a conspiracy of people working together to fill rooms underneath Parliament with gunpowder to blow it up. After the gunpowder ignites, that is not a secret anymore. But no. they have done what they have been aiming to do. Yeah, that is, right. that is about as obvious as things can possibly get. Right. Now, whether the events that they wanted to unfold after that would have unfolded, hard to say. <laughs> right? Yeah. They were captured and terrible things were done to them at that point, but yeah. Well, yeah, but I, I mean, it never blew up, obviously. But no. without knowing everything there is to know about English politics and society at that point in time, I have no idea what would have been re what the result would have been. But there's no way it's going to stay secret after that. No. And sometimes they don't want it to stay secret. Most of the time, the goal has been accomplished and there is no need for any sort of organization at all. A less dramatic and awful version would be the uh, the French resistance. Yeah. Their goal is to overthrow the Nazis, drive the Nazis out. Had they succeeded, not only is it, you know, an obvious thing that they've done it, there is no longer any need for them to organize in the same way. Yeah. I mean, the former resistance members are heroes at that point. Right. But it no longer needs to be a secret society. So that's the, the big event. The yeah, big you'll change. often see these in gaming settings with apocalyptic cults and or groups that want to release the sealed evil in a can. So if somebody's trying to wake up like an evil dead god or, you know, unimprison a horrible lich that's been stuck at the bottom of a dungeon for centuries or something, that group is probably a conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. Assassinations, uh, acts of terrorism. Yeah, acts of terrorism. All of these things are big dramatic single moments that are designed to create a, an effect. Yeah, actually, the most recent Captain America movie, The Winter Soldier, centers around a conspiracy of this type. Yeah, there you go. Now, the opposite of that is the long-term conspiracy, where the goal is to maintain the conspiracy and create a new secret status quo that the conspirators benefit from. This is usually where you get your... Conspiracy theories. Yeah, your conspiracy <laughs> theories, because something in the world is not how the conspiracy theory people want it to be, and they, instead of saying, well, that's just how the world is, or you know, there's a, a specific cause, it's there's a vague yet menacing government agency. Or it's a secret cabal of X doing Y. 
Right. You'll see this with theories about the Freemasons, the Bilderbergs, the, you know, the New York Stock Exchange, any number of three-letter agencies. It's... Yeah. Military-industrial complexes. You yep. know, just anything that is supposed to influence people long-term behind the scenes. That's kind of this sort of conspiracy. And this is often less of a conspiracy and like in terms of we are the people who decide this and more just something that has grown up naturally where somebody takes a bribe here, somebody calls in a favor there and you sort of build up a system that is extra legal and probably harmful because if it comes out, it's ruined. Well, and frankly, a lot of people are probably going to jail. Right. But it's not, they're not setting out to take over the world. Usually it's, they're trying to maintain a status quo or just, make a little more money here, and it builds on itself. It's a very naturally forming sort of conspiracy, but it certainly has all the other features of a conspiracy in, in the same way that it's going after something, though perhaps it's a bit less dramatic. The uh, The best example of this, actually, is organized crime. Yeah. This was actually also discussed in, I think, the same episode of Cartas. You get this this phenomenon where you'll get this marginalized group of people entering a society. Um, In the United States, it tended to be immigrant groups. And they would stick together and they would band together and they would start forming these organized crime groups to try and move themselves up in society because a lot of the normal ladders that people would use were closed off to them for reasons of, you know, prejudice or, you know, even just economic reality. And over time these groups would slowly become more legitimate. It would be a few generations and then you'd you'd mostly have legitimate people instead of criminals. That process has of kind of uh, moving from illegitimacy to legitimacy has kind of broken down, but that's a topic for a whole other podcast. And Specifically, Ken and Robin talk about yes, stuff. Yes, you really should be listening to Ken and Robin talk about stuff anyway, so go listen to them there. And of course, on the other side of the law, you have dirty cops. They're not aiming to do something big. They just you know, they want a little something for themselves or they don't figure that they can use the law to do their job. So they try and go out of the way. Honestly, a lot of superhero groups might qualify as these sorts of conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Certainly the entire Batman family. Yeah. They are extra legal vigilantes. Yeah. So when we're talking about goals, obviously we're talking about short term, long term. Every member of a conspiracy wants something. And that's really what we're after. What does the whole group want? Where are the individual differences among the conspirators in what they're trying to get out of this conspiracy? What do they think is going to happen next? Or how do they think things are really going to go down? Right. Because sometimes you can have people who join a group that ostensibly has one goal for personal reasons of their own because they think they can benefit as a, you know, kind of a trailing effect or they can manipulate things or they even want to con this group and put one over on them and, you know, kind of exploit their resources or... Yeah. Or they think it's something completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes these groups are not completely upfront and honest with what they really want and people can go in under false pretenses and wind up stuck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Other times... You have a specific goal, and once that goal is accomplished, everything's good. Yeah. A good historical example. Edward III of England in the early to mid-1300s. I'm not sure off the top of my head. I I should know these things, but I'm (laughs) bad at that particular era. He took the throne from his mother and her lover, essentially. 
his mother had dethroned Edward II. Edward II was a terrible king, arguably the worst king England has ever had. Which is really saying something. Yeah. The Plantagenets were kind of weird like that. They had some great kings and some truly awful kings. This guy was truly awful. But she goes to France, raises an army, takes a lover there. They sweep in back into England with popular opinion on their side, and everybody chases out the terrible king, and the terrible king gets imprisoned and eventually killed. Uh, because deposed kings are something of a national security threat when you're trying to usurp a lineage. They're always a focus for rebellion, another good sort of conspiracy. <laughs> deposed but, kings have a very um, short half-life and expiration date. Yeah. So the queen and her lover kind of don't know what to do with the power. He wants to really sort of rule with an iron fist. He doesn't have any sense of responsibility to the realm. You know, he's got these huge trains really just partaking of the wealth of England. He's kind of conquered it and he has its spoils for himself, uh, including its queen. She's doting on him, so she's not going to stop him from doing anything. He's having his way with England. So Edward III is kind of waiting in the wings because he's technically not of legal age yet. And he's kind of looking at it going, you know, Mortimer over there is probably going to have me killed the same way he had my father killed because I'm going to be in the way when I come of age. I'm going to be inconvenient. Also, he's a terrible ruler. And so he, he's in the household, right? He's playing the good son, biding his time. And building up a network of connections to these old families and talking with them, building up a crew of loyal men. And all of a sudden, one night, they slip in through a secret tunnel, kid you not, a secret tunnel in the castle, arrest Mortimer, rescue, quote unquote, his mother from uh, this usurper's grasp, as it were. She supposedly runs out in her nightgown saying, don't hurt my gentle Mortimer. A nightgown or less is how the story goes. And the new king politely says, all right, we're going to put him to death because he's terrible. And you're going to go live in a castle quietly and have every need attended to, but you don't get to touch the reins of power anymore because you're terrible with power. And I'm <laughs> going to rule. But at that point, there is no need for any further conspiracy. He's accomplished his job. And it's a good thing because Edward III was a pretty good king as English kings go. Not as just as his grandfather, Edward I, who earned himself the nickname the English Justinian, but probably the most noble and uh, knightly, right? He founded several different knightly orders in England. Uh, Order of the Garter is his. Won a lot of battles. Just this very heroic sort of king. And He's a generally good, they good go. dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not the best. But by the standards of English kings of that era, he was a generally good dude. Generally, he was on the upswing. Let's put it that yeah. way. So that's a good historical example of a conspiracy with a definite goal. He's got a definite goal. All of his co-conspirators have a very similar goal because all of them sort of have their lands under threat by the same guy. So even though they're not necessarily wanting to seize power, they want this guy gone. And they have other less tangible goals of restoring England to its rightful king and that sort of thing, which should never really be overlooked in this sort of scenario. You know, since we're already on England and rightful kings, I would be remiss if I didn't hold out the legend of Robin Hood as a perfect example of a conspiracy that is on the moral high ground. Yes, another involving the Plantagenet family, interestingly enough. Yep. A noble figure who is conspiring with, you know, with robbers out in the forest to do good. So here's the thing. 
the goals that these conspirators want are not necessarily the only thing that's going to happen if they succeed. No. In fact, it's almost certainly not going to be the only thing that happens if they succeed. Something else for you to think about when you're creating a conspiracy in your game is what will the consequences of success be, including, but not limited to, the goal that these conspirators are trying to accomplish. If a king is assassinated and somebody takes the throne, what else is going to happen? Are diplomatic relations going to suffer with other countries? Is a war going to start? Is there going to be riot and rebellion? On the other hand, are diplomatic relations going to improve? Is a war going to stop? Is there going to be a cessation of riot and rebellion? You know, in the case of, say, the conspiracy for John Wilkes Booth to kill Abraham Lincoln, because there were several conspirators involved in Booth's assassination of Lincoln, they had other goals, but there was this whole consequence of the South getting really punished hard during the... Uh, Reconstruction? Yeah, during Reconstruction, thank you. There, there was this real backlash against the South, and so what would have been a pretty gentle Reconstruction instead had this furious, vindictive tone that had other far-reaching effects that we're not going to get into because they're very complicated, but it certainly happens. Right. Those are important because you can present those to players and say, if this succeeds, look at what else is going to happen. And that's valuable from two different angles. If your players are trying to stop a conspiracy, it gives it added weight, right? Maybe they don't care so much about the immediate effect, but the consequences will be dire. Or if they're participating in one, it gives them pause to think about what they're doing is really going to accomplish. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting things you can do with that. It just remember, actions have consequences and you can't ignore them. And another friendly reminder, consequences doesn't always mean bad things. Sure. Things that can happen don't necessarily mean punish your players. Right. And that brings us around to the participants. Yep. Conspiracies, interestingly enough, tend to cluster in the upper and lower strata of society and often center around power. You really don't see a lot of middle-class conspiracies, strangely enough. But the upper strata wants to keep their influence and or expand it, and the lower strata want to acquire more power, wealth, influence that they don't have access to. Right, and both have motivation and potentially means. Right, whereas generally people in the middle strata of society from... The upper working class down to the lower upper class, which I know is a ham-handed way of describing it, but not inaccurate, those people are generally fairly invested in the status quo. So they're not usually going to be conspiring very much. They've got a day job, they've got a family, you know, they, their priorities are elsewhere in life. Right. They may be involved, but they're not often going to be They the usually won't be figure. the leaders, yeah. Yeah. This is, again, one of those areas where you can create exceptions. Maybe you have a conspiracy of uh, lower class workers to accomplish something, but you have a couple of middle class sympathizers and idealists who back them or maybe even a wealthy patron, depending yeah. on what their goals are. What is this person trying to accomplish by backing them? Does he just genuinely believe in the cause or is he looking at this and saying, here's an opportunity for me? Yeah, that line can be blurry, too. Sure can. Yeah. We were talking about leadership. Usually the participants are kind of a group, right? But there's typically one leader. Usually that person is a bit more ambitious and a bit more capable, and they're the driving force behind this conspiracy. 
Yeah. And that's an NPC that you really need to flesh out. And I think that's obvious, but when you say, I want a conspiracy like this, think about the leader. Take time and say, who would drive this? Why and how? Yeah, because all of these groups are ultimately going to have someone or something that they answer to. Now, in a, you know, in a fantastical setting, that thing could be a malevolent AI. It could be, you know, some Lovecraftian entity. It could be one of the gods in your pantheon. I mean, it's there's options beyond just rich dude. Who do you want to have the ultimate showdown with? Yeah. Or who do you want to protect? Yeah. Any of these options. And we were talking about how they're going to do it. Means are a really big deal. You know, we've got a conspiracy of people who want to do something. They want to accomplish some goal. How are they going to do it? Yeah, and means can be are a really good way of either showing or subverting the general ethical framework of a conspiracy. For instance, if you've got a conspiracy with a, you know, ostensibly noble goal of some kind, but these people are just ruthless and bloodthirsty and cruel, and there are absolutely no rules to these folks as long as they get what they want, well, then it doesn't really matter how good their goal is, they're still the bad guys. Yeah, you see this very commonly with political revolutionaries of every stripe. Yeah. Right? Conversely, if you've got a, a goal that isn't all that admirable, but they're being scrupulous not to imperil people unnecessarily and they're trying to be really, you know, forthright and ethical with it, well, then that's a a group that you may still want to oppose, but you're going to be a lot more uncomfortable about it than you were before. Right. Or maybe it makes them just more interesting people to go up against. Uh, think of the mafia in like the 20s and 30s. You have this this code, right? We don't kill a man or beat a man up in front of his family. That's just not done. Yeah. It, well, they're still doing terrible things, but there are these certain little things that they do that make it a little more sympathetic. Just gives you a little bit of pause. I mean, even further than that, you know, in those that particular set of tropes, you'll see like, you know, somebody says something that, you know, they can't be allowed to live. Not only will they kill them away from his family, but they'll also make sure the family is okay afterwards. Right. And of course, you know, back on the other side of it, look at the Punisher. Yeah. Right? He's kind of a one-man conspiracy. I don't know that he counts. But you have that same sort of, you know, the, the means justify the ends mentality that makes him a complex and not entirely sympathetic character. Yeah. You mean the ends justify the means? Yes. he's <laughs> The means justify the ends doesn't really work with the Punisher. No. The ends justify the means. Yeah. Interestingly, though, the, the honorable criminals that we were talking about, that kind of goes to the other way of flipping it. Or yeah, at least in, in cinema it does. I wouldn't say in, in real life, but, you know, in, in media, you'll that's kind of the way of creating sympathy is, you know, their ends may be bad or greedy or selfish, but, you know, they're so honorable and stylish about how they go about it. Well, it's it's harder to totally hate them. You may still need to take them down, but it's different going up against those kind of stereotypical honorable mobsters in the 20s than it is going up against Nazis in the same campaign in the 20s. Right. Another thing to think about in terms of means, why a conspiracy as opposed to legal and public channels for change? Yeah. Why is this not, you know, just a, a standard political movement or a letter writing campaign or a city council meeting? Why is this, you know, backroom deals and meeting in secret and smuggling things around? And Yeah. And the last thing, and this is specific to games because... This is something that conspiracies want to actually avoid, but you as someone creating a conspiracy 
presumably a GM, though, if you're a player doing it, hey, good job, is leaks. Right. How does information about the conspiracy get out? Because and it a needs to get out. That is, yeah, <laughs> it does. A conspiracy with no holes whatsoever that your players are completely unaware of or that works perfectly. May as well be the weather in your campaign because that's about as much effect as they're going to have on it. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah. It, it is either a deus ex machina or an easy route to success that doesn't have any sort of dramatic tension. Yeah, there there always needs to be somebody who talks because, frankly, in real life, there's almost always somebody who talks. Right. And usually we're talking about a person, but also there may be a paper trail or some other sort of evidence. Maybe the evidence is how somebody uncovers it and says, hey, player characters, look at this. Isn't this funny? Or it's, you know, hey, I've heard about this conspiracy. Everybody suspects it. Let's follow the evidence trail. Let's look for it. So it's discovery or tracking them down. Or if you want maybe a slightly darker take on it, depending on what your conspiracy is, maybe your players are troubleshooting those leaks. Yeah. Right. Uh, someone's talking and we need to we need to shut them up. Well, and the other thing, just to flip back around to the assumption that they're opposing the conspiracy for a moment, one of the best places of information about the existence of this thing is the victims. Yes. If they're not just totally annihilating everybody that they interact with from existence, which again, boring, even if they're killing people and they're just, you know, leaving a trail of bodies, well, that's still evidence. And if yeah. they're not, if they're intimidating people or shaking them down or, you know, exerting some other form of influence, well, eventually that's going to get out. Leaving a trail of madmen in their wake if it's a nice Call of Cthulhu kind of cult. Yep. And, you know, if you're if you're on the the conspirators side of things, like you're members of a resistance, well, maybe there's somebody who's slipping information out about your conspiracy and you're going to be set up, right? Right. You're, you're being led into a trap where they're going to bust the whole thing and you need to figure out who's leaking information and put a stop to it. That's a good thing. By the way, if you want some really good inspiration on how to make this work without it constantly being life and death, watch the show White Collar. I was wondering how long it was going to take you to bring up White Collar. It, yeah, well, I, you guys have gotten me obsessed with the show, so yeah. Ha-ha! <laughs> it, is, it is very, very good. Honestly, after having watched about three and a half seasons so far of it, it's really something that I think is just good general watching for a game master. You've got all kinds of interesting material that you can use for all sorts of gaming situations in there. Plus, the show is just really entertaining on its own. It is just funny, certainly. You've actually yeah. watched a lot more of White Collar at this point than I have. Oh, really? So, it was good, but the long-term, the the overarching story did not appeal to me. Ah, uh, okay. While each episode is good, it does get a little bit samey if you're not looking for either specific inspiration about specific things or invested in the long-term story. Yeah, see, I've actually gotten invested in the long-term story, but there is definitely a formula they do like to play with it and subvert it, though, so... It's... They do, and there's value in that. Yep. That's that's nice, but at the same time, after a while, even that starts to get expected, and it's just... Right. It, it hit the point for me where I was just like, yep, all right, Neil's in trouble again. Yeah. <laughs> this P is, this Peter is suspects go... him. Peter has no reason to suspect him because he's always been good the entire time. He's totally honest. He's just lying conveniently because he doesn't trust you. It's the same thing again. Yeah. Which is not to detract from it because it's an awesome show. It just, it doesn't hit the right buttons for me. Yeah, it's fair. And actually, this is a good point to 
diverge briefly and talk about conspiracy theories. Because we have a character in White Collar, Mozzie, who is big on conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. And one of the ways they subvert it, and this is, I think, a really good way, we're talking about leaks, right? People who know things and are talking about it. Mozzie has these big theories, you know, that he buys into every conspiracy theory. He literally has 10 hats at times. Right. You know, tinfoil hats. But sometimes he's right. Yeah. But only sometimes. Very rarely. Every once in a while, he turns out to be right about, oh, these people are working together. This is a real conspiracy that's happening, and it's crazy. Yeah, the uh, Culpers. The Culper Ring was a a fantastic one. It's the one I'm thinking of here. A great Revolutionary War era conspiracy theory. And they're like, oh, you know, it continues today. And this is a real conspiracy theory. People are like, oh, the Culper Ring is still totally in existence, yada, yada, yada. Sifting out all of Mozzie's madness and finding the one little bit of truth in it is really hard. That's a wonderful character that I would include in any sort of game like this, especially a modern day game where conspiracy theorists feature more prominently. Right? Fantasy games don't tend to have conspiracy yeah. theories. It kind of cuts against the tropes of the setting. And I, I think there's something else that's important that if you're going to include a Mozzie type character that makes him work that a lot of a lot of the time, similar characters like that don't work as well. Mozzie has a couple of things going for him that that type of character doesn't often. The first of which is that he's useful. Yes. He is genuinely useful in a lot of ways. He has a lot of like these disparate, weird skills. but And connections. That's yeah. the other thing. And the other one is that he's actually somewhat trustworthy. Yeah. Once you get his moral system figured out and you earn his trust... He's incredibly loyal. Yeah, he's he's fairly dependable to his friends. He's weird. Like, he doesn't talk with FBI agents, but he talks to his friend who talks to the FBI agent because he trusts his friend, and his friend trusts the guy. Well, and the but funny thing is, him. it's like, he will talk to the FBI agent's friend, he will talk to the FBI agent's wife, and eventually he right. will talk to one specific FBI agent, but he always calls him suit. Yeah, the transitive property does not apply to him. Yeah. And it's really funny. You're right. He is competent and he is trustworthy. Whereas a lot of conspiracy theorists, and Mozzie has this trait too, they're trying to feel better about themselves. Yeah. And his motivations for it are actually explained in the show. Sure. He, he's looking for something to kind of hold on to, something to, to essentially make it all not his fault. Right. <laughs> and it's it's not his fault even in the show. You know, this is a somebody who had a hard life, etc., but he wants there to be some bigger reason why things just don't go his way. And I think a lot of conspiracy theorists have that same need. They can't just not be successful. Something has to be holding them back. It's a it's a weird, twisted sort of pride. I'm not the best person in the world, but I'm not part of this vast overarching conspiracy. I'm not a dupe. Yeah. I have secret knowledge that no one else has. All of these are forms of pride. And some of those traits factor into people who have knowledge about real conspiracies, and sometimes it's noise that you have to sift through to find the real conspiracy. Well, and that pride thing is something I want to come back around to, because I think a lot of these outlandish conspiracy theories that you run up against, the the pride takes the form of assuming that everybody else is either bereft of free will or utterly despicable right okay the moon let's go to the moon okay, okay. i was i was going to go to the other one but go let's go ahead and use the moon the the moon is apolitical and i think we are all in agreement that the moon is a real thing yes think about the scope of a conspiracy 
involving the moon as a fake. The moon is not real. Uh, one of the things in this article, and I'll, I'll have to link the article in the show notes because it's delightfully hilarious if you're into that sort of thing. You know, basically saying the moon is probably some sort of crude balloon or it's a hologram. It's some sort of fake put on by somebody or different people at different times because the, the myth of the moon is so useful to control people. How? Never explained. Think about this real quick. You have everybody involved in NASA. Every astronomer. Every single astronomer. Through all of human history, by the way. Right. Anybody with a telescope who has looked at the moon in you know great detail. Everybody who uses high-tech equipment. People who bounce lasers off of the uh, lunar retroreflectors that the Apollo astronauts left up there to measure you know how the moon is moving and that sort of thing. Um, if you've seen the Mythbusters episode on faking the moon landing. This is one of the things that they used is like, no, the moon landing is real. There are reflectors that astronauts left on the moon to bounce lasers off of. All of those people have to be in on it. Everybody who faked the moon mission, supposedly, has to be in on it. Everybody involved in building all of this has to be in on it. People who are analyzing moon rocks have to be either dupes or in on it. <laughs> to the point where, like... The author of the children's book, Goodnight Moon, probably has to be in on it. Either in on it or duped dupe. by it. Yep. Which means that the person involved, you know, the person who is saying the moon is a fake, is either smarter than or nowhere near as evil as like 30% of the world population. And of course, everybody has to be paid off. And not a single person has decided, you know. I should really reveal my involvement in this because I will be the most famous person in history. The moon is a fake, and here's my proof. Yeah. It's never happened? Not once. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, not only are these people despicable and or brainwashed, but they're also perfectly loyal. Right. There's never been a leak. Yep. Until, you know, whoever has the secret information about the moon being a fake discovers it, yeah, right? You know, I'm actually reminded of a, a famous quote by somebody who was in a real conspiracy, Al Capone. The quote is, two can keep a secret, or three can keep a secret if two are dead. Right. And that's a rather macabre way of keeping a secret. But yeah, the point is, think about the people who are coming up with this, the kind of people who need a conspiracy like that to exist for their life to make sense. They're looking to be more meaningful. Now, let's pull it back to actual conspiracies. One of the big things that is important for shadowy amorphous organizations is making headway against them. And this is something our, uh, our last guest, Katrina, had mentioned briefly. It's really hard to make meaningful progress against shapeless, nameless foes that can be anywhere. Well, and honestly, it's it's hard to make meaningful progress against foes that even you can identify. I mean, that's the reason why laws like RICO are on the books. That's true. RICO, for our non-American listeners, is the... Uh, what is it? Racketeering. racketeering. Uh, uh, let you know, me just I don't, look it I don't Basically, it's, a, and it's an anti-racketeering law. Yeah. But, you know, if you are organizing for criminal activity of any sort. Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. There we go. It's basically the kind of law that lets us put people like Al Capone and other mobsters away for tax evasion because it's a conspiracy to evade taxes as opposed to some guy who's, you know, filing bad tax returns. Well, and it also allows us to put people like that away from much nastier crimes like, you know, conspiracy to commit murder and stuff. If they can establish the chain of command, you can go after the higher ups. Right. So you have rules like, you know, and laws like that in place to fight that sort of organization, but it's still very difficult to fight against because you have to have proof. 
So player characters need to have they need to have a handle on it at some point. Maybe you can kind of say, look, these guys are really hard, but maybe a leak or figuring out their means or figuring out who the participants are gives you insight into how to beat them. Yep. And it's important that you give your players some way to do it because when your players are swinging at shadows and just hitting nothing and it's frustrating. Players want typically to succeed. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to fight the Tarrasque when you're level 20. It's not fun to fight the Tarrasque when you're level 1. Right. If the Tarrasque is ignoring you and going about its business, or just healing up the little bit of damage you're doing instantly to the point where the hit point total is never Or you show up, it steps on you, and the game is over. Oh, yeah. But I mean, even not even talking about, you know, just them going, oh, and uh, we're going to swat you out of the way. Yeah. If you just can't make headway against it, it's frustrating. Avoid that. Yeah. At all <laughs> that, costs. You, it's you, just incredibly irritating. You don't necessarily need to let your players take down the entire organization in just a few sessions. But what you do want to do is give them kind of a feeling of progression. So, you know, they'll probably start off figuring out who it is that they're up against. And that revelation can be their first victory. And then they can start disrupting some of the lower level operations. And then maybe they can move their way up to like a lieutenant or somebody. And eventually they'll they'll get to the top and that can be the, the end of your campaign. Yeah. Or, I mean, there's, well, there's all sorts That's of That's the stereotypical that kind of linear progression. Sure. But you put the pieces together and go, aha, there is a conspiracy here. I thought these were all unrelated events right but it turns out <laughs> i've i've put the pieces together man it's all it's all connected right? yeah <laughs> these events are not so unrelated as we originally thought yeah and I, i'm okay with an initial you know hey these guys are really they're tough they're shat they're a shadowy cabal yeah right these You're guys gonna are have trouble news. fighting them and that just makes the eventual victory all the sweeter when you finally get a good hold on them and bring them down yep I like the idea of entangling player characters in conspiracies without their knowing it. Oh, yeah. That's perhaps my innate cruelty as a GM. (laughs) But uh, I like the idea of, you know, it was really old man withers all along kind of stuff where it's, wait a minute, what do you mean I'm implicated? Yeah, this makes me very nervous about the Shadowrun campaign suddenly because we're deniable operatives. (laughs) Yeah, shockingly, you're deniable criminal operatives working for extremely powerful people. But I'm actually thinking of the Eberron game that I tried to run ages and ages ago, fourth edition game. I had kind of this mid-tier organization of villains, basically a cabal of wealthy conspirators who wanted to restart the world war that encompassed all of the setting because they were profiting off the war and now things have, things have stopped. You had a fantasy military industrial complex. Well done. Yeah. It, that's really what it was. And this is actually part of the setting. Uh, for those in the know, it's the Aurum, A-U-R-U-M. And it's kind of mid-tier. Like, they are not themselves powerful fighters. They're just the wealthy upper class who kind of get together in a secret society and be like, you know, we had it better two years ago. Why don't we go back to that? I like the idea of having all five major nations fighting each other. That seems great. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Right. And it's kind of a loose conspiracy. Different members have different goals. But that was kind of the angle I think I ended up taking was these people wanted to restart it. Yeah. Well, the very first person 
who they ended up working for, was a member of the Orem. So the players were going to kind of connect with this guy, do some things for him, and then eventually discover, wait a second, he's been using us. He's been using us to further his plans, and I'm not sure I like those plans. The game failed very quickly. We didn't get anywhere near that, but that was kind of the goal that we were after, or that I was after with the plot. Well, and generally speaking, one of the surest ways to get player characters up in arms at you is make them unknowingly involved in something bad. Yes. That will focus them nicely. Yeah, and make sure that they walked into it themselves. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about taking control of someone's character or putting them in a situation where they have to do things. But if they think something is a good idea and it turns out to have tough consequences, well, now you're winning as the GM. That's that's how the GM wins D&D, all right? <laughs> and then, of course, the, the epic win is letting them fix it for the rest of the campaign, but... Yes, exactly. All right. Well, I don't have a whole lot else to talk about. Well, I, I think I'm tapped here, too. All right. Uh, well, then we're going to adjourn this secret meeting. Yes. Uh, hopefully, this, these notes the are shadows. not... Right. Hopefully, the uh, recording that we make, because all secret meetings have to be recorded. It's in the bylaws. Why, I don't know, but it does. Hopefully, that never makes it out on the internet. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> exactly. I think we'll leave it there, folks. We will see you next time. Take it easy. Have a good one. Fear the Con. Yes. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.